Happy New Year, and welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, airing every Tuesday. I'm Melanie Blackman, the Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Sarah Krieger, Senior Vice President of Alina Health Operations and Acute Care Services. In her role, she provides executive leadership and supports Alina Health Hospitals and key clinical service areas throughout the system, which serves patients in Minnesota and Wisconsin. During our conversation, Sarah shares insights into her role, the important work she has championed this past year, and what her focus will be in 2023. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's really such a great honor to speak with you, and and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Melanie. I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm I'm looking forward to it too. These are conversations that always have a way of being satisfying for all of us. So good reflection time. I really appreciate that, and appreciate you thinking of me. No, absolutely. And speaking of reflection time, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your personal and professional background and what drew you to work in healthcare. I think my personal background is part of what drew me into healthcare. You know, grew up one of five children in Michigan. My parents were just really committed community members and in professions that they loved. Uh, in fact, my dad was in construction, and I remember it. He was a superintendent of a construction company at a pretty informative time in my life. Probably I was 11 or 12. I remember he was in charge of building a hospital in Michigan, and we used to go check on the job when I was a kid. The irony is, you know, 10 years ago, I joined Alina and was running a hospital, Mercy Hospital, and um, we were doing construction and I found actually a pamphlet from my dad's work in that hospital that he built at that time was Mercy Hospital. So my dad was a leader and respected leader um, in a lot of ways. My mom also influenced me growing up. She was a nurse and taught nursing, uh, was a pediatric nurse, also got into leadership later in her career running a home care agency and worked for the Red Cross and and some other ways. So got to see, you know, both of my parents in professions that they loved. And I I personally thought I was going to be a nurse and decided I would pursue that in my adult years. I did need to work while I went to school. So I decided to get into the healthcare field while I went to school to be a nurse and got trained to be a clinic medical assistant and worked with a private practice out on the East Coast while I while I went to college. During that time, I realized a couple of things. One is nurses have to do a lot in the science area, and science was not a strength for me. <laughs> so I really kind of had that realization. But also in the private practice that I worked for, I started to think about if I could help us be better at you know, this or that, and started to get engaged in not only doing the work, but how could I help us as a clinic be, you know, better overall. And the leaders in the practice kind of saw that interest I had and said, hey, you'd you'd be good at leadership. Can we 
give you a give you a leadership role. So I, I moved up and decided that at that point to switch my curriculum to a business major with healthcare and human resources background. So kind of worked my way up through the ranks into leadership and then merged my my education to go with it. You know, one of the things between, you know, my family growing up with would say family history of one sister who died of diabetes, whose sons also have diabetes, another family member who struggled with mental illness. You know, healthcare is very personal and it's very real and it's it's kind of a calling. Like, you know, we we come into healthcare, many of us having had experiences that give us a strong passion for what we do and make a personal commitment to make a difference and to help the system um, be better for our community, but also just recognizing it can be better for our, our loved ones and our family members and our neighbors. And I have that commitment today, whether it's for my husband and myself as we get older or, you know, my kids and now my granddaughters as I, you know, think about what they're going to need. So the two in healthcare, professional and personal backgrounds really, really kind of link up and um, stay very close to each other along the way. I was going to say healthcare definitely seems like such a, a close topic and something close to your family and close to your heart. So it's really great to to see you putting your passion into that. And even though you started off with going to school for nursing, you're able to find a different path with still in healthcare. So that's really great. Yeah, the opportunities I was given to tap into that kind of commitment and passion I had was really a gift. I did have some time in the academic medical school setting and then eventually did pivot over to more hospital leadership. It just, you know, doors open when you love what you do and you know, you work with and for people who give you those opportunities to learn and grow. So I've been really blessed that way. Speaking of doors opening, in April 2022, you were promoted to lead all acute care services for Alina Health, including offering executive leadership and support to 11 hospitals and key clinical service lines for the system, you know, including the Alina Health Emergency Medical Services, Alina's Mental Health and Addiction Services, and Cardiovascular Clinical Service Lines. What innovative work have you led so far in your position, and what led you to work in this position? You know, my past 20 years, actually, have been spent as a hospital president, um, and that my my role when I came to Alina 10 years ago um, expanded to be, you know, more than one hospital and and then additionally getting to wear a system hat supporting mental health and addiction services for, for the entire organization and Alina EMS and, and eventually supporting um, cardiovascular care and, and others. And so it's been really good to step into the the role of leading all of the hospitals for Alina, in addition to some of those other services. Um, The opportunity to step into the broader role has been uh, an honor and a privilege for me to support the hospitals and, and to step into this, having had such recent experience in a hospital setting. You know, the innovation, I, I have to say, is at my level, 
I get to see and help champion a lot of what the frontline caregivers or the clinical program leaders are driving for the organization and really help advance them. So I, I'm not sure I can take credit for what innovative work I've led, but maybe what innovative work I've championed in this role and been had an opportunity to champion. Coming through the pandemic, um, and especially the last year, we've experienced really extreme pressures on the system. People are coming back for care. Many people, you know, delayed or postponed care during the pandemic and, you know, they're they're sicker or they waited longer and now they, they need us more than ever. And of course, this past fall, we've really experienced a lot with the influenza season and RSV on top of COVID. But access to care has been where we've had to be most creative and innovative and been really proud of how even during the pandemic when when we knew we should be socially distanced, right? Well, how do you get care without being physically present? The teams have really done a lot to extend virtual care, telehealth. Our our mental health and addiction services team have just really been able to um, not only protect the community and patients through the pandemic by offering virtual or telehealth care, but they've actually been able to, you know, use that even as as we've lifted our social distancing requirements to be able to, you know, get access to care to people in rural communities or who live far away, who, you know, traveling long distance for mental health appointments would be a hardship and might mean they couldn't do it. So our ability to expand telehealth visits, um, consultations, even intensive partial hospitalization day programs virtually now has been just really exciting to support and see take off and, uh, you know, be able to address really at a time when we have a crisis around mental health and addiction to be able to to offer that. It's been really positive. You know, in a few other spaces, we're doing a, a lot at Alina to work to keep patients at home. So in addition to telehealth and virtual care, on the other end of the spectrum, we've been working to promote uh, even hospital at home as a mechanism for um, helping patients get discharged from the hospital sooner or maybe even avoid a hospital admission with a higher level of care and in the home environment with a hospital at home program. So those are just a couple of initiatives, innovation opportunities that I've been able to um, support with the teams, the caregivers who are just really creative and innovative and how to how to address access issues. It sounds like such great work, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, too, about the initiatives you're looking forward to championing in 2023, and are there any particular pain points you're looking to address? Maybe we'll just start with the broad question about, you know, pain points. Our access to care issues are probably not going to resolve quickly. That's just going to continue to be a challenge for us. And and behind the access challenges really are the workforce challenges. We saw a lot of, as we knew, the aging population, aging workforce, people would think about retirement and did. Uh, we, we knew the baby boomer generation was going to be exiting the workforce. So that, that has been happening. We've also just seen a, a really a, a shift and it's not just in healthcare and it's not just in Minnesota, it's although I would say Minnesota probably with its record low unemployment rates are probably struggling a bit more. But 
even at the national level, we've all heard about the workforce shortage. So a lot of individuals looking for a different way of life, maybe, than some of us have had and, and looking more for part-time or, you know, different level of commitment uh, in the workforce. So even those that are working don't tend to work full-time, especially in the service industry where they're required to work seven days a week. So recruitment and retention, top priority, no question about it. So our goal is to really make sure we are um, focused on the retention and the well-being of our, our workforce that's in place, and then continuing to think about how to be creative in the recruitment space. How do we go um, attract kids in high school um, into healthcare and get them thinking about, you know, what is available to them? How do we think about creating, in some cases, with the school's programs for training so that you know, we we have adequately trained and skilled number of people coming out around jobs, nursing jobs, surge techs, x-ray techs. So there's such a variety of job skills and opportunities. But, you know, one choke point right now with as many people having retired or left the field, we got to have a lot more people that were getting trained into it. So we got to expand really with our academic and technical program partners, the the size of our programs and get more people through that. So that's an important aspect of what we're looking at as well. And then again, kind of addressing this changing workforce. You know, what what is the workforce of the future looking for? Certainly different roles, different expectations. Um, some of the more specific initiatives I'm excited about for 2023 are again kind of that wellness for our staff. Related to our healthcare delivery system and how we provide healthcare, one of the things that the pandemic and challenges of workforce has provided is a another incentive to really change healthcare and the transformation of the healthcare system is something that I think many of us know we need, needs to happen. We are not we're we're costly healthcare system in the United States. We don't necessarily get the outcomes we should for the costs we pay. And a lot of that is because we've had a a reimbursement system that really was focused on when people are sick or injured versus how do we keep people healthy and well and promote wellness and keep them out of the hospital and keep them out of the operating rooms and and the EDs. So I'm, I'm excited that you know, this is the, the constraints we're seeing are kind of a catalyst for really addressing the social needs and kind of overall wellness of our of our community, because we don't we don't have the space to just do the things we've done in the past the way we've done them. One more, I think, very specific is we're pretty excited about one initiative we have going, which is the opening of a mental health and addiction specialty center, kind of a future state specialty center that brings a lot of our community partners in with our caregivers, mental health and addiction services generally are uh, requires a partnership through many community-based services as well as healthcare services. And so in the Fridley community, we're going to be bringing together many teams to provide a, a whole different level of care and a, 
Mental Health and Addiction Ambulatory Specialty Center, which is really going to be exciting and innovative. And I'm, I'm just really uh, looking forward to the outcomes they're going to be getting with our partners in that regard. So those are just a few examples. So switching gears a little bit, what has been your experience working and leading as a woman in healthcare? I've been really blessed over the years to have great leaders who allowed me to really step up and try things. They saw my commitment, my passion, my potential, and gave me opportunities. You know, as and I and I have to admit, I didn't think much about it as it relates to you know gender differences. I really just kind of pushed through, and probably one of the things that I've noticed though is early in my career, while healthcare was, as far as numbers goes, mostly females in staff roles, especially when you think about nurses or nursing assistants, generally female dominated uh, in the workforce, the, the positions of, you know, physicians and oftentimes strict leadership roles were held maybe more so by males and more predominantly by males. You know, I I noticed that early on. I, you know, I didn't really think about the impact it had, but, you know, used to, used to joke early on when I was a president that it was, it was me and mostly my male counterparts. So one of the things I would observe is that has shifted quite a bit um, through my career. And, you know, I think it's easier to see the benefit of, you know, the gender balance. I think we need other diversity balance as well, and we'll continue to work on that. You know, for me, I really, I have to say, and one of my favorite books is Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. We do have to really think about strategically how to position ourselves a little bit more. We have such a tendency for inclusion, and that is such an asset. We also tend to be a, a little more reluctant to maybe believe in ourselves and and see ourselves being capable of doing something that maybe our male counterparts might go, you know, you know they may not think twice about it. So we we probably tend to have kind of the imposter syndrome a little bit more. And I and I think it's important just to understand that and question ourselves about that because awareness really does you know, help us think about things differently. We should also just recognize those traits do tend to be there and help others. Um, uh, You know, recognize when we're sitting in a room or in a conversation with someone who, you know, can we pick up that they're, you know, not bringing their full self or that they may have insecurities about it and figure out ways to support them and lift them up. In, in whatever role they're trying to, whatever capacity they're trying to to meet and be in. I, I think we have an obligation to to do for others what, what has been done to support us. Absolutely, and, and create those opportunities that you had mentioned earlier in the conversation for others as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, asking people what they think if they're not speaking up, inviting them to the table. Oh, that's wonderful advice. Well, Sarah, 
thank you so much once again for taking the time to speak with me today and, and to share your insights on the podcast. I appreciate you joining. Yeah, thank you, Melanie. I appreciate it too and and appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.